0: Podcastle, episode 373, for July 21, 2015. Sweet Potato Woman, by Chris Barnes. Rated PG. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Graham Dunlop, your co-editor and host. Folks, our sister cast escape pod It's coming up on five hundred episodes for something that started out as a one-man band in May two thousand and five. That's pretty damned impressive. And for the five hundredth, we're asking you to participate. We've set up a Skype number you can ring to leave a message about your memories of Escape Pod, what it means to you, your favourite story, your favourite narration. We'll pick a few and feature them in the five hundredth episode. Are you an author? published on EP? Have you narrated for EP? Are you a long-time fan? Happy it's still around? Are you a newcomer? Whatever, whoever you are, feel free to call this number and leave a message. 910 777 5053. That's 910 777 5053. Now that's a US number, so if you're calling from outside the US, enter your international dialing code first. So get dialing, and show Escape Pod some love. And now to today's story. I am personally very excited to bring this story to Podcastle. I first read it in 2010 as a result of attending the 68th World Con, which was held that year in my hometown of Melbourne, AussieCon Four. How could I not go? I picked up a few best of editions of Andromeda Spaceways In-Flight magazine. And this story was in the fantasy best of. I was enchanted. Now, I'm pretty sure the community described herein could be anywhere in the world. But it does have an Australian flavour and I can picture the people, the houses, the community. It's the kind of community you'll find all over Australia bit like neighbors. Did you have to bring it up? I guess so, but you know, without the death and plotting and murder and bombings and, you know, all the weird stuff that goes on in Ramsey Street. Anyway, I found this story gentle and sweet, and I hope you do too. Podcastle and I are proud to present Sweet Potato Woman by Chris Barnes. It was first published in Andromeda Spaceway's in-flight magazine number 28, in 2007. Chris attended the inaugural Clarion South writing workshop in 2004. He hasn't written many stories after the initial flurry of those years, but those stories helped secure a job at the consumer organisation Choice, where for the past 10 odd years he's written stories on more mundane subjects such as vacuum cleaners and lawnmowers. Oh, the glamour, he says. Your narrator is, well, you're going to know the guy. So come out to the garden with us, dig into the earth, plant, who knows what you'll reap, and enjoy the story. Sweet Potato Woman by Chris Barnes One Thursday morning, while digging in the sweet potato patch, George Mullet found a tuber with a face. He had been probing deep through the sprawling leafy runners, scraping aside soil with his trowel, when he uncovered the startling sight. He stared in puzzlement, unsure of what he was seeing. With a few delicate flicks of his fingers, he cleared the dirt from the root and looked closer. "'It was a woman's face!' Not just a chance assembly of dimples and lumps that was only face-like if you look at it just so, at this angle, in that light. No, it was a proper face, quite unmistakable. A soil born sculpture in sweet potato. Good Lord, said George. With his earth-stained hands, he dug around the tuber and lifted it free. It was sizeable, a good kilogram in weight, he reckoned. He considered the face, turning it this way and that, a smooth forehead, fine eyebrows, slender aquiline nose, thin lips in a Mona Lisa smile. The eyes were closed as though sleeping. A beautiful face, serene, noble, a little world-weary, but not unkind. Remarkable, said George to himself. He put the tuber on the garden bench and continued digging, wondering what else he might uncover. June had planted the patch, maintaining it with her usual love and skill, until she'd become too sick. Not even she had managed to grow such a wondrous thing. George went on to other tasks, pruning, weeding, mowing. There was a lot to do in the garden during springtime. The rest of the gardening chores were comfortably mundane. At lunchtime, he carried inside a bucket of sweet potatoes, zucchinis and lemons, a bunch of white marguerite daisies and the mysterious tuber. He put a dozen lemons into the fruit bowl, zucchinis into the fridge and some sweet potatoes in the pantry, leaving the rest in the bucket for his delivery rounds later on. The daisies he trimmed and arranged in the vase in the glassware cabinet next to June's photograph. Her sweet face smiled up at him. There you go, darling, he said, wiping a fleck of dust off the photo's silver frame. Daisies have come up nice again this year. She'd always liked marguerite daisies. Simple and cheery, she used to say. She'd sing and hum while arranging the flowers. She'd always loved to sing. Five years come Monday, since the cancer took her. George went back to the kitchen. He sat on a stool and studied the strange tuba, moving his bifocals up and down. Either way, the face lay there on the kitchen bench, peaceful, eyes shut, apparently sleeping. He pondered what to do with it. Show it off? But to who? He didn't relish the idea of word getting around that June's garden produced freakish vegetables. And carving it up was unthinkable. It was too wonderful for mere eating he put it in the pantry with the other sweet potatoes, laying it on top of the stack like a gnarled, earthy effigy. After dinner, George took his bucket of fruit and vegetables and went on his weekly round of garden clothes. Lemons for the tailors at number seven in exchange for apples. Lemons and zucchinis for the fosters at number nine, who gave George some Tahitian limes. Old Mr. Chew at number eleven liked sweet potato and always traded a Chinese melon, winter melons, or the long knobbly bitter melons, depending on the season. George had no idea what to do with the things. He and June had tried a few recipes from June's Women's Weekly Asian Cookbook, but neither of them had especially liked the taste. He discreetly put the melons into the compost each week. It was the trading that George enjoyed, the smiling and nodding and the not-quite-bow Mr. Chew made at the end of the transaction. George never understood much of what the white-haired Chinese man said, but that was all part of the pleasure, part of the ritual. June had enjoyed the weekly rounds. Share the harvest, she'd always said. Sow well and reap what you sow. That was her motto. George stopped in front of number 13, Marilyn Hardcastle's place. He rested a hand on her gate and tried to see through the frosted glass of her front door. The light was on inside, but perhaps she wasn't home. Wait, there, a shadow moved behind the door. Oh well, he thought. George, Marilyn exclaimed as she opened the door. On time as usual. Put the bucket by the door and come in for a cuppa. No, not there, put it by the hat stand. Yes, that's right. Good, come on. She took his hand in her rather too firm grip and led him into the living room now sit there no there on the sofa while i make us a nice cuppa you'd like earl grey wouldn't you george course you would she bustled into the kitchen he sat on her plastic-covered sofa and tried to pay attention to the stream of chatter echoing from the kitchen he gazed around the room a glass doored cabinet full of porcelain knick-knacks a wall-mounted set of souvenir teaspoons photos of Urn on the mantelpiece Poor old Urn. He'd passed on a couple of years back. Despite its just so neatness, Marilyn's house never felt very comfortable. Too sterile, thought George. No flowers. Marilyn came back in with two steaming cups of tea. There, she said, putting the cups on the coffee table. She sat next to George. This is nice, isn't it? Yes, it is. She patted his knee before he could move it away. And how are you? I'm pretty well myself as always, always on the go. Have you booked the coach tour yet? Well, I I have the brochures right here. She took some glossy papers from the coffee table's lower shelf. Super sunshine coach tours, proclaimed one. It showed a large silver coach full of smiling silver-haired people. Marilyn, I really don't think I... Oh, come on, George, stop moping around your house. It's been five years, for goodness sake. Get away, have some fun. Think of it, three months around Australia, staying in all those nice hotels, just book the ticket. She put the brochures in his hand. Well, she edged closer. Her thigh pressed against his. You'll make new friends, George. He cleared his throat. Well, I'll think about it. Marilyn's face sagged a little, then reset into a frown. "'Don't think. Just book it. The tour leaves next month, you know. I've already got my ticket, so it's settled.' He gulped down his hot tea. "'Thanks for the cuppa, Marilyn. Er uh, "'So did you want any lemons?' George woke suddenly. "'A voice. Was there a voice?' "'Yes, a woman.' sweetly singing a simple plaintive melody just at the edge of hearing. He lay still, straining to catch the distant words through the hushed dark house. I'm your sweet potato woman long growing in your field. Can you hear me singing of the crop that field will yield? The voice hummed the tune again, softer. George blinked rubbed his eyes and focused on the bedside clock's green glowing hands. Twelve-something. Kitchen. The song was coming from the kitchen. He sat up and listened. The tempo slowed. The voice faded, vanished. The house fell silent, expectant. George climbed out of bed, switched on the lamp, put on his glasses and stumbled into the hallway. He stood and listened. Nothing. "'Through the living room, the dining room, into the kitchen. "'The linoleum chilled the soles of his feet. "'He tried the back door, locked as it should be. "'Then where... "'The sweet potato woman?' "'The strange tuber lay in the pantry just as he'd left it, "'its expression still serene and faintly amused. "'Except... "'Were the eyes open a little now?' "'George caught his breath.' For a moment, the face looked like someone who was only pretending to be asleep. Can't be, he thought. Just my imagination. I'm still half asleep, that's all. He yawned and went back to bed. Sleep returned slowly. He dreamed, as always, of June, of holding her close, the summer day smell of her hair, the welcome touch of her strong, beautifully warm hands. On Monday, George drove out to the crematorium. It was a long drive and he didn't enjoy all the traffic, but the crematorium gardens were top-notch and the rose bushes around June's plaque were in bloom. Yellow roses, her favourite kind. George laid a bunch of daisies alongside the plaque. Roses were lovely, but he liked to think she'd enjoy a homely touch as well. Five years. He walked around the small plot looking at the other memorial plaques. Most of them he knew by heart now. Some were more recent than June's. One was less than a year old and he'd never seen any flowers near it. No one came to visit these people. Sad how quickly some people gave up and forgot their loved ones. Moved on, as they said. Bees buzzed around the yellow blooms. Such a simple life, he thought. Gather nectar, spread pollen, make honey and die. When a bee died, did its companions mourn? Not likely. No eternal numbness for them. Just move on, on to the next flower. Well, I'll move on when I'm good and ready, he told the bees, and returned to the car. That night, George again started out of sleep to the faint sound of singing. He clutched the sheets. His hands felt sweaty. This was no dream. The woman's voice hummed the same tune as before, then sang. I'm your sweet potato woman, long growing in your field. Can you hear me singing of the crop that field will yield? more humming he flung the blankets aside, struggled off the bed, grabbed his glasses, and ran into the hall, and stopped as the voice continued with new words. Sunshine down from heaven, rainfall do your part. Grow a special harvest in the place I left my heart. George stood in the hall, heart pounding. He put a hand against the wall to steady himself and breathed deeply. Stay calm, George, he thought. It's a trick, an hallucination. Never heard of a singing hallucination before, though. He wiped his hands on his pyjama top. The voice faded once more into silence as he approached the kitchen warily. Nothing moved when he switched on the light. The pantry door was closed. He listened at it for a minute. Silence. He flung open the door. The tuber was still in place. He picked it up, turned it over and over, held it to his ear. Nothing. He put on his glasses and looked closely at the face. It looked back at him through distinctly half-open eyes. "'Good God!' said George with a start. The tuber slipped from his hand and thudded to the floor. He prodded the tuber gingerly with one foot. It didn't react. Must be a practical joke, he thought. But who'd do it and why? He looked out the window into the garden. Moonlight silvered the yard. There was no one there. His gaze returned to the sweet potato. Time to put a stop to this nonsense, he thought. He put the tuber onto the chopping board and took out the cleaver from the knife drawer, raised the heavy blade to strike. The face looked so peaceful, so beautiful, serene. He slowly lowered the cleaver. No, he thought, I have to find out more about this sweet potato woman. George put the sweet potato woman in his bedroom. He found her presence disconcerting at first and turned her face to the wall. He had an absurd urge to apologise for doing so. She remained silent, her subtle expression unchanged. The following night he sat up late in bed reading an old Zane Grey Western, glancing occasionally at the tuber on the dresser. Midnight came and went, and the sweet potato woman did not sing. George fell asleep with the book sprawled on the bed and did not wake until morning. He put her back into the pantry where it was dark and cool. After breakfast, he stood sipping his coffee, looking out the kitchen window, planning the routine tasks for the day. A bit more pruning, the lawn edges could do with a trim too, nothing too strenuous. He wanted to be alert for tonight's vigil, but still a man's got to keep his garden tidy, he thought. His garden? No, June's garden. Our garden. The doorbell rang before he could settle his thoughts. He paused as he recognised the silhouette behind the glass panelled door. Yoo-hoo, George, called Marilyn. He opened the door. Hello, Marilyn, he said warily. She stepped in without waiting for an invitation. Now, George, I need to know, have you booked your ticket yet? "Er, uh, no. She sighed. "'I thought so. Dear, oh dear, George, honestly and truly, "'you just don't know whether you're Arthur or Martha these days. "'Come on, we'll do it now.' "'She strode into the living room, George following anxiously behind. Marilyn, no, it's no trouble,' she said. "'You can pay by credit card over the phone, you know. Marvelous, isn't it? Now come on, get your card ready.' "'He moved his hand towards his pocket, but stopped and curled it into a fist. "'No,' he said, "'I'm not going.' Marilyn stared at him. What? Of course you are. We decided. No, you decided. I didn't. I'm not going. I have things to do. What things, she demanded. Moping around dusting old photographs? Burying yourself in that bloody garden? He stepped back, stung. Her face wavered. George, I'm I'm sorry. George realised he was still making a fist and uncurled his fingers. I'm sorry too he said. I should have made my feelings clear, said something sooner. Your feelings, she said hopefully. I don't want to go. Not with you, Marilyn. The words hit her hard, and his heart sank at her obvious pain. There's someone else, he added suddenly, surprising even himself. Come and see. He led her into the kitchen and opened the pantry. Look, he said, picking up the sweet potato woman. Marilyn's mouth hung open. She backed away from the tuba. "'What is that? Did you grow that? It's horrible. It's grotesque!' "'No,' George said. "'She's strange, but I think she's also rather beautiful.' He placed the tuber back in the pantry, gently laying it down. "'She sings to me sometimes, but I don't understand the song yet. "'I won't leave here until I do.' "'Barmy!' whispered Marilyn. "'You're completely barmy!' She backed away further. Don't you come near me, George Mullett, to think I wanted to. Oh, oh my God. She turned and strode towards the front door. George did not follow. He heard the front door slam. Well, Marilyn's gossip spreads faster than the wandering dew. he thought. Barmy George and his singing spuds. He drew himself up. He didn't care. Barmy maybe, but he had to hear what the sweet potato woman was telling him and no one was going to stop him. She lay on the dresser, peeping at George through half-open eyes. He sat in bed, staring straight back, willing her to sing, to do anything. Night blanketed the house in silence. The only sound came from the bedside clock, a solitary ticking that amplified the stillness. George and the sweet potato woman lay there until the hypnotic tick... Tick, tick, sent George into sleep. He dreamed that the sweet potato woman rose from the dresser and floated towards the bed, hovered above him and stared down with widening eyes and opening mouth. A shout echoed in the room. George realised he was sitting upright, hands clenched on the blankets. The shout was his. Just a dream. The sweet potato woman was lying on the dresser as he'd left her. Except that her eyes were now fully open and she was singing. Her mouth didn't move, but George had no doubt. She hummed softly and then the words came. I'm your sweet potato woman long growing in your field. Can you hear me singing of the crop that field will yield? sunshine down from heaven rainfall do your part grow a special harvest in the place i left my heart george waited hoped knew another verse must come when spring is at its ending and the crop is fully grown you'll understand my singing and reap what you have sown She hummed the tune again, and the notes faded into silence. George waited, but she did not sing again. When spring was at its ending, that had been six weeks. He wondered what he had sown, and fell asleep still wondering. For the first time in five years, he slept the night through, without dreaming of June. When he woke, the sweet potato woman's eyes were firmly shut, He stood and stared at the bright day outside, sapphire sky and golden roses and emerald grass, the day and himself full of expectation, and he felt as though his own eyes had never been more open. He kept the sweet potato woman for a few more days, but she began to look rather old and withered. She had not sung again. After much thought, George decided to bury her in the sweet potato patch. He felt very odd doing it, as though he ought to have a minute of silence or say some appropriate words, but in the end he simply murmured goodbye as he covered her over. As he patted down the soil with his hands, he felt that a long, still chapter of his life had quietly closed. Well, I've sown, he thought. Now let's see what I reap. Two weeks later, Marilyn left on the coach tour. George went around the night before her departure to say goodbye, but she wouldn't let him inside and made only the briefest of conversations. The neighbours in Garden Close seemed glad to see him on his Thursday rounds, however, and were very solicitous about his health. Old Mr Chew seemed especially keen to communicate something about the sweet potatoes with many chuckles and sly nods, but George could only nod along and grin in turn. Mr. Tew insisted on trading two melons for one potato this time. Three weeks later, George noticed a for sale sign go up in Marilyn's front yard. Her son came from across the city to supervise furniture removal and the open house inspections. He gave George a strange look when George introduced himself, but seemed friendly enough and said that his mother had always wanted to move closer to her grandchildren and decided to have it all done while she was away. In the fourth week, George realised that he had not dusted June's photograph for two days and that he felt no guilt about it. In the fifth week, while weeding the flowerbeds, George decided to remodel the garden. He'd always wanted a water feature with a frog pond. He began drawing plans that same afternoon. On the morning of the last day of spring, while walking up to the corner shop for milk, George saw that the for sale sign in the front yard at number 13 had a large sold banner plastered across it. He paused at the gate. The front door was ajar. The new owner, perhaps? He heard someone moving about inside, whistling merrily. Hello in there, he called, approaching the door. Just a minute, replied a distant voice. A trim, silver-haired woman appeared shortly in the doorway. Hello, she said. George stared. He knew her face. Serene, noble, a little world-weary, but not unkind. She returned his stare with a bemused smile. When he finally gathered his wits to shake her proffered hand, he found her grip was strong and beautifully warm. And welcome back and now you know I'm just a big old softy I don't have a naturally smiley face and I can look kind of intimidating but well we asked Chris if there was anything he'd like listeners to know about this story and he said I believe in hope in renewal there's a gentle wonder and delight in gardening and the earth can be very generous for me that's the sense of this story Oh, yeah. Um, except I'm a really lousy gardener. Feedback this week is for episode 363, L'Etoile flamboyante, by Samantha Henderson. It was read by the ever-sparkling CSE Cooney. Folks on the forum like this one, Devoted135, said, Wow, what a story, surreal and poignant and painful all at once. The narrator was somehow simultaneously pitiful and powerful, as were the children. The title is apt. The story feels like a flaming star. And Duango said a number of things, such as, There's this show called Top Chef I watch with my wife. This story was like the chef who mixes the flavours of chocolate and wasabi, and somehow it works. This has so many components and unexplained events that merge together in a way that shouldn't work, and yet come together perfectly. And... The world is strangely unpleasant, post-apocalyptic, and yet this almost doesn't seem to matter to the story. It's a world where Mad Max meets the last unicorn. And so we come to the end of another show. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, thank you for stopping by and sharing with us in listening to the story. We'll be back next week with another Until then, this is Graham Dunlop reminding you that you can pay by credit card over the phone, you know? Marvellous, isn't it? PodCastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's delivered under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva and Exile. To find out more about them, check their website at shiva-in-exile.de PodCastle could not continue without the generosity of our donors. Did you know that you can support us from as little as $2 a month? That's half a cafe-made flat white. Er, flat white's a coffee we have over here. Bit like a latte. Really good. A regular donation of just $2 helps us immensely. And one-time donations are great as well. Or help spread the word of Podcastle. Write about us on your blog, or Facebook, or Twitter, or Tumblr, or Instagram, or Hello or... Yeah, wherever you social media ties. Or leave us a five-star review in iTunes. Let the world know how awesome we are. Marcus Tullius Cicero said, If you have a garden and a library, you have everything you need.